0: So without further ado, sit back, relax and enjoy today's guest. Success is a process, not an event. Hello and welcome to the Fire in the Belly show. Today we have myself, Mighty Pete, and we're joined by the Amanda Rafferty. Hello
1: and welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much, Pete. I'm delighted to be here.
0: Oh, listen, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on. So Amanda, tell us, who are you? What do you do and where are you from?
1: Uh, Amanda Rafferty, as you said, I am... Originally, I'm from Warren Point, but I am living in a little village called Prince Pass and I am mum to three kids. James, who's 19, Emma, 17 and Aoife, 13. So I often say the, the hormones, etc. cetera, are you can just imagine the joys. Um, I am mentoring now at this stage. I mentor people who I guess we are starting again. We all go through phases of, you know, life throwing you curveballs and you have to kind of reinvent and start again. So that's what I focus on at the minute after starting again myself, uh, two and a half years ago after separation. And I also have a podcast called The Trials and Tribulations of a 40-something. So I think that's it, kind of in a nutshell.
0: (laughs) Lovely, lovely. So, I mean... Tell me, do, do 40-somethings have trials and tribulations?
1: I could write 10 books. I was going to say I could write a book, but no, absolutely. Like it is, um, but sure, that's life, isn't it? You're always freaking, very few of us get through life without some kind of trial or tribulation or a 100 of them. <laughs> so the idea behind the wee podcast was, basically it's the the type in the title the trials and tribulations that very few of us get through life without some kind of challenge or struggle or obstacle but then can turn your life around in a positive way and then that can kind of give people hear that from other people it gives them a sense of hope that they can do the same so like I said that's where I found myself two and a half years ago and yeah it was it's a daunting place to be when you're kind of starting again but it can be done when you've got the, the right people around you and the, kind of the right mindset to believe that you can start again. So I'm not saying it's bloody easy, but <laughs> every day brings its own kind of struggle. But, you know, you keep putting one foot in front of the other and moving forward. So, yeah, so that's where I am today. Makes sense. I mean, tell me,
0: are you, would you typically be a sort of a, a glass half full or a glass half empty sort of a woman? In the-
1: I like to think i'm a glass half full kind of person um that has been challenged <laughs> over the years um but i do uh like you hear that you know that term kind of toxic positivity being thrown about quite a lot recently um and i don't know if i would fall under that umbrella in that my way of coping with things is i'll have my pity party and i can freaking i'll you know, have cake, everything, just I go all out with my pity party. But then I will think, right, hold on a second. Let's put this into perspective. Look at what somebody else is experiencing. So then it kind of gets me back on track again. And then I was reading that you shouldn't really be doing that because what you're in turn doing is diminishing your problems and what you're going through as if they don't really matter. But it, it, the way I look at it, it isn't really like that. It is. It's for me that I need to do that because otherwise, if I don't, then the pity party might just go on a wee bit longer than I would like it to. So, it, as I say it kind of puts things into perspective. But I do always look for the positive in um, what's happening. You know, it isn't unrealistic as well. Like there's some days you just you fucking you keep you're searching and you're searching, and you're searching, and you're going why I can't I just can't find the positive but then you just go back to bed <laughs> and wake up again tomorrow it's a new day it's a new day but you know you have to keep it real and you have to you know like as I'm sure you've seen with social media and stuff you're bombarded mm. with the idyllic life and picture perfect and it appears that everyone's got their life together when in fact you know a, very few people have it just right. Life doesn't, you know, be as idyllic as what social media would have you think it is. Now, I haven't said that we are, you know, you'd be grateful for what you've got and all that kind of stuff. But um, no, I I do think, back to your question, yes, I, I like to think I'm a glass half full person.
0: Talk to me about this pity party. It's always, it always can be a fun place to be, you know, that sort of reset. I, I, is it a sort of a one-day thing or does it go on longer?
1: Uh, I tend to... Uh, a, a day... It can be a dipping in and out. <laughs> it mm-hmm. can be, right, I'm really feeling sorry for myself and then I'll, you know, have a cry or whatever and then I'll sort of write a man to come on, catch yourself on. Keep it together. And then I'll be OK. And then maybe an hour or so later, it'll be, oh, what? And then I'll go through the, that process again. And then, but uh, yeah, probably, I don't know if it'd be a day, probably, as I say, in and out, dip in and out. And then I would have a stern talk to myself and go, right, Amanda, for God's sake, Jesus, would you catch yourself on and dry your eyes. But I will acknowledge, I know it's so important to acknowledge those emotions, you know, um. I don't tend to cry in in front of people, and even like I said to you at the start, like this is surreal. Me talking about me to somebody else because normally I'm so used to other people talking about themselves. I'll dip in and out talking about myself, but I kind of I'll do it a wee bit, and then I kind of I don't know I don't know why that is. Um. So you're very privileged, Pete, that you're getting to
0: <laughs> flip the microphone to on you. To. Yeah. <laughs> tell me when you when you talk about there you know you're saying you know telling you telling you to catch yourself on whose voice is that is that yeah. you or is that somebody else in your life or you know where does that come from
1: uh, probably a combination um it is yeah i don't know probably my mum and my dad my dad was very my dad passed away just over two, well, it'd be three years dead now in September. Um, and he would have been very much, you know, you just get up and you get on with it because of different things that he had been through in life. And you look at, do you know, though, when you look at people and you see the strength in somebody and their strength of character, and he was very much like that. Um, and my mum, like, she's five at nothing, but would be very much a strong person. And it, there would have been that kind of mentality, I guess. Growing up was you just you don't lie under it. You you keep going. You keep going. You put your best foot forward. Um, and I always would have been quite a um, I don't know, like an independent person. And with regards asking for help and things like that, there. So I guess I don't know if that's related to it. Um, but whenever you're having your kind of pity party i don't necessarily reach out to people and ask for help so to speak (laughs) it's not because i'm thinking i can do this myself i can do this myself i don't want to be bothering anyone it's just i've always been that kind of i'll sort it out myself and then i'll put my face back on and then i'll go back out and face the world again i don't know if that's a good way to be um but I, I know no different, I guess.
0: <laughs> no, absolutely. Listen, we all have our mechanisms to, you know, to cope with different things in our life, you know, and there's no right, there's no wrong, right? You know, it's just as whatever way has worked for us, typically.
1: Yeah, mm. whether it works or not, I don't know, but it, it's got me to 47 with, um, I was going to say unscathed, but no, I haven't really been unscathed, but um. Yeah, but you do, you go through life and you you try things and if they work, they work. And like even with the whole, Mm. you know, personal development end of things, uh, it's something that I would have been into for years, but I would have dipped in and out of it. And when you stop doing it and then sort of start again, you realize, actually, this is, I feel so much better when I'm doing this kind of thing. Mm. Why do I not keep doing it? And then you dip out of it again you go and it's like no you have to remain consistent you can't just do it for a wee bit and then stop doing it and then wonder why things are going a wee bit getting crazy and then come back into the game you have to so I've learned you have to keep keep doing it keep doing it keep doing it one day at a time one day at a time
0: (laughs) I love it before we get into it really I mean are you an ugly crier are you 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 a good crier
1: <laughs> I'm an, I'm a gorgeous crier. piece. what are you talking about? <laughs> it's, it's
0: always interesting, you know. People is like, no, no, I'm I'm okay with the cry. It's like, nope, I'm an ugly one. It's like, yeah, it's it all it all comes out, you know. So it's always just interesting.
1: But you know, whenever you are like starting to cry, and then to really cry properly, I think you have to look in a mirror at yourself because they you you really feel sorry for yourself because you're looking at your wee sad face and you're just like so to get a proper real looking deep deep cry. I think you can you should look at yourself when you're crying.
0: <laughs> Makes sense. Makes sense, to let it all out, you know. <laughs> That's what it's all exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah. Tell us are you are you where
0: you're supposed to be now, do you think? What's what's your current status?
1: Uh no. I I think I still have and you know what's ironic actually Pete (laughs) I'm so good praising myself here but at supporting other people and encouraging other people but it's funny whenever it comes to yourself there's always that well not I don't know maybe you're different but there's that self-doubt and that like there's so much that I want to still do but then there's still that kind of pull that I'm going, oh, I, I don't know if I if I could do it. Whereas if it was somebody else, I would be going, yes, of course you can. Come on, you can do this. You can do this. But myself, I don't know. It's a, a slightly different. Now I did. I'm just getting back into the the mentoring kind of thing. I took um, I've said this before. I, I took a sabbatical that kind of lasted a lot longer than what I thought it would have lasted because um I say my dad passed away it'll be three years now coming in September and then my marriage ended a few months after that so I was I had the mindset of how can I be mentoring other people when my own life is kind of falling apart um I like how can somebody take what I'm saying as do you know what I mean like they'd be going here, hold on a second, you're you're like relationship ended. How can you advise me on something to do with whether it's relationships or being the best version of you or believing in yourself and all that there whenever clearly it hasn't hasn't worked for you? But then I kind of realised, but actually to me, I feel it makes me more relatable because I've had... The postnatal depression i've had the um like six no seven eight years ago i took from a sore throat i took um strep a that turned toxic and my body went into toxic shock so i've had the near-death experience i've had the uh battles with confidence the dark thoughts i've had the marriage breakdown I've had grief I've had so there's been lots of things that I've had that I can relate to with other people and have more of a, an understanding I'm not saying that what I have done is the only way but I don't know do you know whenever somebody has gone through like I, I have talked about it before like I thank goodness I've never experienced a miscarriage but I wouldn't go and try to say to somebody who's gone through a miscarriage Oh, well, what about trying this or what about trying that? Because I don't have, I have personal experience, obviously, of being pregnant and having babies. But I would feel, I would rather somebody who's actually been through something like that has a, I think, more empathy and sympathy and a better understanding because they're coming from personal experience. So then, I said, even though I was going through a phase of thinking, like, what, what, what can I, like, as I said, as a mentor or a coach how can I help somebody else? And then I realize, but you can, because I've had all that experience as well.
0: I mean, it's, that's the thing. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's hard to go through, right? But it's what you what you make of it or what, what you take away from the experiences, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And as I said, I'm not saying that my way or how I have dealt with it is the right way or the only way, but it was my what worked for me and you can sort of say to other people look try this see what happens and if it works it works and if it doesn't well then try something else hmm. but it is every day every day a school day picture always learning always growing um but i do think you know going back it's hilarious i i'm always i go off and weigh tangents and fucking like it takes me half an hour to answer one question um but am I where I'm, I am I am where I'm meant to be at this moment in time, but I still know I have so much more that I want to achieve and I want to, to, you know, get, so. Well,
0: looking forward to hearing more about that. Tell me, um, first of all, what does fire in the belly mean to you?
1: Fire in the belly means to me, um, sorry, it's just two of my children have just, Walked in, so I'm gonna let them hurry along. Thank you. (laughs) You can always depend on coming from school. Um, fire in my belly is it's just that desire, that passion for something that you feel that you can make a change, you can do something different. Just that, yeah, just to. I think so many people have lost the fire in their belly and. But it's it's there you just have to find it again you just have to find whatever your purpose is whatever your passion is to reignite that fire is something you have i i have now again yeah i had lost it um very much the this kind of area like personal development was something i say i got into about 10 years ago um my ex didn't really understand it and would have been very much wouldn't have supported what i was doing um so his voice had kind of taken over with regards my belief in what i wanted to achieve with coaching and all that kind of stuff so i lost the fact i'm not like finger pointing and saying oh it's all because of him or whatever but The people around you, you know, the ones that you feel are going to be your biggest cheerleader, turn out to be your biggest critic. And you can't help but allow their opinion to cut in because you're thinking, okay, well, these people know me the most or know me the best. If they don't think that I'm capable of doing what I would like to do, how can other people, other people aren't going to believe it either. I know we ultimately have to believe in ourselves. But I still think, as much as other, as much as you believe in yourself, the, if the people closest to you start to doubt your ability to do something, you can't help but allow that to kind of cloud your vision. So I would have done it a wee bit, and then would have kind of backed off, and then I would have got back into it again, and then it backed off. Um, but now that I'm doing it properly, yes, that fire is. Back again because I know it's something that I'm so passionate about. um I know it's cliche, I want to help people and all that. There. But I do, in that, as I say, people who are starting again, whether it is after a relationship break up or marriage breakdown or um a career change or whatever, you know, it's never too late to start again. Whether you're in your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, I know some people feel. I'm so sure about it, I'd say, I, I just have to make do with I am now, um, so that's why this is an you know, I really want to kind of focus on and why I'm so passionate about it because I every nerves to have the chance to live a life that are in their brain rather than just you know trudging through life and kind of again cliche living or not exist or, what is the same? um don't just exist live your, live your life don't just exist no it'll come back to me the same but you know the one i'm trying to say <laughs> um so say uh, that's why um yeah i feel very passionate about about this and the fire in my belly yeah is it's still you know it's not on full throttle Pete, but i'm getting there i'm definitely getting there
0: mm. what's your biggest why
1: Uh, my biggest why is I only allowed one
0: (laughs) okay you can have a couple if we're gonna go that way
1: um my biggest why uh, I suppose you can go the usual like my kids and all that kind of stuff but I think it is because I have been that person who has been stuck in a place where you just you feel as if you're this maybe sounds really dramatic like kind of suffocating because you know that you have so much to to give whether it is in your career whether it is in your personal life whatever whatever it is um my why is just getting people to realize you can have whatever it is you want to have don't live your life through the expectations of other people or doing or living your life based on what other people want for you you have to whatever it is that you want for yourself so it's just to my why is to keep getting that message across that you deserve to have the best freaking life because at the end of the day you know like I say when you're freaking at the end of your life rocking back and forward and you're going oh I wonder if I wonder if I wonder if it's better to be sitting going." Oh Jesus, do you remember I tried this and it didn't work? But then do you remember I did that and it did work? So, you know, yeah, to get to remind people, as I said, to to live their freaking best life. And again, I know it's I'm full of cliches and full of all those kind of things, but um, I see I have seen it so many times, Pete, over the years, like people who are just dead behind the eyes. because they're just as I say, they're trudging through life. They're just going from one day to the next. They have lost who they are. They've lost their identity. They've lost their passion. They've lost what fundamentally makes them who they are because they've spent so many years pleasing other people, doing what other people have said, viewed on, like we all have a different perception of life. We all have different limiting beliefs we all have all those kind of things so when you're you know the way i don't know if you've experienced this do you know if you had an idea and you were wanting to do something and you maybe said it to five people and they said four out of those five people went oh jesus i don't know about that that doesn't that doesn't sound like a good idea to me and you might have one that goes actually yeah go for it but those four people are judging that based on their own personal viewpoint and so many people hold back because of somebody else's own perception and what has happened to them in their life and what fears that they have. And I said, so I said, come back to my way, it is just to constantly keep reminding people this is your life. You have to live your life on your terms, not on somebody else's terms. There you go. <laughs> well, that makes no sense. <laughs> I mean, in
0: that instance, I mean, what what inspires you the most then?
1: Uh, actually, you see people, and I've seen it even more so since I've started doing um, the podcasts, people who have actually been dealt the in horrendous things in life and experiences, but yet have turned it around. And, have, you know, they've had the mindset, right, this isn't going to beat me. I am, I am still determined to have the best life I can possibly have. So I'm more kind of inspired by people like that, who, who never give up, who have an inner strength and a resilience that is just, you know, commendable. It's it's just like, wow. And those are the people that will motivate me when I'm having my party uh, to go, right, come on, you can do this, you can get through this, because I'm reminded, um, like I said, and I'm sure you're the same when you hear Different stories and different different experiences and all you're going, gee, like really? Oh my God, like how, how have you continued to keep putting one foot in front of the other? But they have, and I that, that that inspires me to continue doing what I'm doing, to continue getting up each day, to continue sharing whatever message I have to share, whether it you one person hears it or a hundred people hear it. Um yeah, so that's what inspires me. Mm.
0: And do you, do you think people get you? Do you know, is it?
1: I don't know. <laughs> there'd be some, you know, there will be some that do. Whenever you do get feedback and people saying, "Oh, I I needed to hear that today," or, um, you know, you're very relatable, or you keep it real, or I, I get I'm funny quite a lot. Uh, maybe that's a slight exaggeration. Not quite a lot. The odd time. <laughs> uh, But all I can do is say it in a way that makes sense to me. And the people who are going to get me are going to get me.
0: That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Talk to me about Mini Amanda.
1: (laughs) Mini Amanda. Right. Okay. Um, Ah. Well, my I'm the youngest of three kids, and my, I have an older brother and older sister, and um, my older sister, when she was born, she had uh, a condition called hydrocephalus, and now she's grand, she's fine, um, and had a shunt put in and what have you and all that there, but um, there was probably so much attention put on to my sister as a baby um, that whenever I came along then, I, I probably, and this is probably where the independence comes from, I had to, I'm not saying I had, God, I had to do a lot like I had, but I did. Like, mummy has said it many times, you know, over the years, that she would have been carrying my sister up the stairs and I would have been coming crawling up after her or the cushions would have been propped up in underneath me with a bottle, whereas my sister would have been getting looked after, which is totally understandable, and I get that. And my dad, God love him, he, he used to say, he'd be sitting watching the TV, and the next thing I would come running in, just in a vest, that was it, and dance in front of the TV. But now the adult in me knows I was just looking for attention, some kind of attention. Anybody, somebody, just look at me. I had a little imaginary friend called Jacqueline Bins, which I think was very advanced for whatever three years of age coming up with that name. Um, and it always kind of was the, I suppose that's somewhere embedded in me. The, am I enough? Kind of thought. And as I said, I totally, totally understand. My parents were doing what they needed to do at that time but then it obviously has had some kind of impact i guess i don't know i have never i delve a wee bit and then i'll stop <laughs> and then i'll i'll park it um and yeah it was always kind of that feeling of need looking for attention i just need attention somebody to just say and I see you and then um like say even like going to school and things like that I did have friends but it was always you felt as if you were kind of just on the not the outside but you just you just felt as if you were kind of on the outside and then as I said whenever I then my ex-husband I met him when I was 19 got married when I was 25 and even throughout that, you always kind of questioned am I enough? Am I enough? Am I a good enough wife? Am I a good enough mommy? And I suppose after I had James and a touch of postnatal depression, I didn't. Do you know the way they tell you that as soon as a baby's born, you have this rush of love? And I didn't have that. Um, and probably I even to this day, I would feel so guilty about that there um because I didn't have that immediate rush of love so I would have questioned am I a good enough mummy why like mummies are meant to have that rush of love the books say it the magazines say it everyone tells you that you're meant to have that and I didn't have it and that tortured me for so long and I felt so so guilty about that there um so as I said even from like as a wee child that am I enough am I enough Show me attention. Give me attention. Somebody, please see me. Somebody, anybody. Um, is it still there? It probably is a little bit. Um, yeah. If I if I if I delve really deep, it probably will be there a lot. But I tend not. I don't know if that's a healthy way to do it. You know, the way I tell you to let sleeping dogs lie, sort of thing. <laughs> so just leave it be. Let's. <laughs> But yeah, as a child I was always very much um yeah, wanting to be seen. <laughs> were you
0: running into school or running out of school? What was your direction of travel?
1: Sorry, I was saying it again, Pete. I
0: was saying, were you running into school or running out of school? What was your direction of travel?
1: Um I didn't mind school, I have to say. Uh yeah, I always um probably the usual talk too much and all that kind of stuff but i know you might find that surprising um but yeah no i didn't i didn't mind school i have to say it didn't cause me any great anxiety or i didn't dread going into it um could i have done better at school absolutely if i maybe had have talked less and paid more attention but you know hindsight's a great thing
0: what were most of your school reports saying? Was it pretty much that, or?
1: Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Uh, no, I wouldn't have been. I um, As shy again, I'm wondering. Now I'm going to psychoanalyze myself. I wonder. Is it, the talking? Is it just like for attention? Hello, somebody, anybody. <laughs> if I talk, will you see me? so yeah it maybe is I don't know but as I said like you know your parents are only doing what they are they know at that particular time and like don't get me wrong Jesus I did I had a lovely childhood and but I was always <laughs> I was always the one that got shouted at the most I like I <laughs> if there was anyone gonna because you know the way back like in 40 years ago you were like to slap and all that kind of stuff and the wooden spoon the wooden spoon never connected with me it was just the threat of the wooden spoon um and but I, I distinctly remember when i was 11 and i didn't get the 11 plus surprise surprise probably because i talked too much and didn't pay enough attention and i went down the time one day it was the day of the results i had been down the time to get mummy something and it was gone for like four or five hours and she was having a clue where i was and then as i was coming back up home it felt as if every second person was saying your mummy's looking for you and i knew i said oh jesus i'm dead i am so dead and when i got back up into the house and then i happened to look out the window and i seen her come come and walking up towards the house and as i said she's five foot nothing and she you just you don't mess with my mother and she come into the house and she ran up the stairs after me, jumped over over beds after me. And my brother happened to come in. He's gone. Right. Come on. My way, come on. And she says, I'm going to freaking kill her. I'm going to kill her because, again, I had just way off in my own way world. And uh, yeah, but with regard to school, yeah, it was a means to an end. If I could do it again, I probably would make more of an effort.
0: <laughs> Wouldn't we all? You, you learn so much more. <laughs> so so different. Well, yeah. Tell us what's what was your earliest conscious memory?
1: Uh, my earliest conscious memory actually is when my granddad passed away. I was four. And we were sitting down, he, passed away from cancer and the ironic thing is that my dad passed away on the same date as my granda from cancer which like was mad but anyway um and we were dying in the house and I'm actually I can see it as clear as anything even yet and sitting on the wheelchair at the door and mummy and her brothers and sisters my auntie and uncles coming in and obviously they were all upset and all the rest of it. And mummy was saying to me, you, you, you sit there, don't you move. So of course, me being me didn't listen. And I snuck up the stairs to see him. And I can still see him just lying in the bed with the cotton wool on his eyes and the pennies on his eyelids. Um, so that would have been, I was, I had turned, I had just turned four in the April and he passed away in September.
0: It's funny, isn't it? The different memories and as you say, that even the detail of the, the cotton wool and the, the pennies pennies. Yeah,
1: yeah, and it, like it's funny how it's as it's as clear. It's so vivid. Even you know you kind of and you forget about those. Like you, you sort of think, Jesus, four years of age, you can't really remember much. Hmm. I can't. I couldn't tell you anything else around that age, but I, I distinctly remember that as clear as anything.
0: So what was the plan then? You know, growing up, what what were you going to be? What was the first plan?
1: Um. I have no idea, I, and, but I went I went to school, then I went to the tech and I did business and finance. I left the tech and I started working in a veterinary surgeons and I was only going to be there for a short time. Um, and I stayed in a veterinary surgeons for about 17, 16 years, 17 years. And then when I left it, I continued working part-time after I had James and Emma. And then when Aoife came along, I decided, Brad right, was going to be a stay-at-home mummy. And then that's whenever the whole confidence and lack of confidence kind of kicked in. And um, then I was at one of those crossroads in life, not sure what I was going to do. And then my hairdresser was saying to me, he says, Gee, Samantha, you've always been interested in fashion and that kind of stuff. What about personal shopping? And because the confidence was so low, I... I had looked about it and thought, I well, sure, I'll see, I'll see. And eventually, a year later, I finally sent off the application form. But whenever I, I had completed the course and started to do um, personal shopping and fashion shows and makeup and all that kind of stuff, my dad actually said to me, do you know, that's something I thought you would have done years ago. And I said to him, well, what do you mean? He says, that's something I always thought you would have been really good at. And he said... But why didn't you tell me? And he says, well, I suppose you had to figure it out yourself. But it was something I had never thought about doing anything like that there. But um, the the, um, the course that I did was style coaching, which was a combination of personal stylist and a life coach. And then that's probably where the kind of the life coaching end of things came and that I started focusing on it. But it's funny how sometimes you don't see what... You think you'd be good if that makes sense. It's maybe somebody else will see but I said that was my dad all over. He never really got involved. He <laughs> he let people, you know, find their own way. But that was one of those occasions that I thought, like, really, Daddy, you could have just maybe given me a heads up. But um, yeah. So that was, I kind of just fell into it. But even with doing what I'm doing now. As I was growing up, I always tended to be the one that people came to with regards if they had something that they were worried about or if they'd something that they were needing a wee bit of guidance on or support. Like, even in, in work, on a Monday morning, the girls would have been coming, you'd have heard them coming running up the stairs. As soon as I came in, I would be commanding, right. Like, wait a hear what happened. And my ear would have been bent right down to my ankle. But I don't know if... It was something that was always in me to be a listener, to be somebody that gives support, guidance, help. I don't know, but I don't know. Now that I'm doing it, it feels right.
0: That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, just to, as you say, to be doing it, giving that guide to, or listening to other people, which is a it's a massive skill in itself. Yeah. You know, to be able to, to do that. Talk to talk to me about I know the kind of... Sometimes- Sorry, go on.
1: Sorry, sometimes people just, while I'm saying about being, you know, helping and supporting people, sometimes that is all people want is to be listened to. They don't necessarily want solutions as such, but they just want to know that they're being heard. And um, I, I don't know, sometimes I find that people want to fix other people and you can't fix other people. You have to fix yourself. But I said it's just sometimes, and again, maybe that goes back to me looking for attention and all that. There, it was just to know that you are being seen by somebody. I think is so so important.
0: It's interesting that you say you know it's to be seen is important Mm because your your language is incredibly auditory, very very uh, listening based, very hearing based. You know, it's all about you know saying and hearing and you know, listening, which is quite interesting. And yet you sort of describe as being seen as the as the important thing, which is quite interesting.
1: Yeah, oh, I, never, not <laughs> I never thought of it like that, Pete. Uh, yeah, because I do, I think sometimes we can, we can listen and we can, but are we actually hearing what a person is saying? So I think that probably is why When you feel that you're being seen, I think that then means, maybe this is, I just make this up in my head, (laughs) that if I'm being seen, it means that I am also being heard if I'm being seen. Does that even make sense? Does it?
0: (laughs) No, it does. It does, actually, because I think it's, yeah, I I get it because you can have, you know, those people can be, you you can be heard, but actually the, the true you is not necessarily being seen. And yeah. as you say I mean people for me take hearing as almost the uh the interpretation side but to me actually hearing what someone's truly trying to say is actually more important than than listening to what they're actually saying if that makes sense
1: oh so yeah. true and just when you say that I remember um a friend of mine it was maybe about six months after I separated in and around that and I met her I just happened to meet her in one of the we pubs here where I live and it was the first time I had seen her and she said to me when she came over and she says Amanda I have to say I'm not surprised she says you were trying to tell us for so long that you were unhappy but nobody heard what you were saying and it was like see whenever she said I was going yeah I, I was like I without actually saying okay, this is what's going on, blah, 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 blah. I was probably going around about it. Um, but that's, it was just that she had said, like, you were trying for so long, but no one heard. And I was going, no use for this. <laughs> but you can't expect, like, people aren't, you know, everyone is, you know, caught up in their own stuff and what's going on mm-hmm. in their own life. And um, like, even the last year, you know, COVID has hit people in so many different ways on so many different levels and I know some people might feel as if oh but you know do the way they'll say oh reach out and reach out and you don't know who could be needing whatever but I think for everybody this year it has been so so hard that everyone's trying to just deal with their own stuff that you don't always be able to reach out to other people like an other years whenever people are not going through what was what has happened then it can you know it was maybe a little bit easier but I said everybody is dealing with it in a in a certain way or dealing with whatever has been going on so it's it's not always easy to to reach out when you're kind of trying to deal with your own stuff
0: Tell me, what what triggered the the business and finance side, you know, for the tech? Where did that come from?
1: Oh, that was just one of those, oh, I have to do something. (laughs) More so than, because, you see, and it's actually, it makes me laugh, because when it comes to the business side of what I'm doing now, I'm the first to admit, Pete, I haven't, I don't know, like the marketing and all that kind of stuff, I'm like going, ah, no I just want to help people well <laughs> then you have to realize but you need to do a wee bit more than that if you're wanting to work on building a business um but it was just one of those I'd left secondary school and okay I'll just kind of go up and down the whatever courses are available yeah okay I'll do that one. <laughs> oh, madness
0: it's amazing the, uh, yeah, the places we find ourselves because of a random tick on a box or whatever, you know.
1: Like, yeah.
0: <laughs> those career days, it's like, yeah, yeah i didn't just did. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it, it, that was exactly it. And I said, whenever I left in the tech and went to work in the veterinary surgeons. And what kept me there, like, really? Well, I suppose it's half the battle, but what kept me there for so long Was the fact that I had such great crack. So, (laughs) you know what I mean? It wasn't because I was getting any major job satisfaction. It was purely the the vets that I had worked with and maybe a bit of habit also. But it was just, sure, it's about crack. Do you know what I mean? It pays a few bills. So.
0: (laughs) Well, I can think of worse things to do in life, right? You know, you can get yourself hung up on a lot of things but yet you kind of go and i'm doing what i like to do and then getting paid so
1: yeah exactly and you know you go into but it was so funny because they said after james and emma i just worked part-time and obviously i'd only be there a few days a week but whenever you would have went in and i was going in like (laughs) refreshed after the weekend going hi everyone and they're all like looking at me going oh god's sake and then i would have brightened their day for a few days and then i would have went away off again and then i would have come back a few days later while they're still going through the the torture of working 40 hour 50 hour weeks Mm
0: -hmm. yeah isn't it funny uh, you know when you come in with fresh legs although probably for you getting away from getting away from the kids is probably that's that's a break in itself
1: that's exactly why i was skipping in through the door
0: that's it they're trying to skip out you're skipping in it's like yeah okay <laughs>
1: exactly
0: Thomas, <laughs> what what are you really good at and what are you terrible at
1: uh i'm terrible at technology when it comes to um all that kind of stuff i'm terrible at promoting myself i'm terrible at uh <laughs> uh marketing that kind of thing what i'm good at great at talking I'm good at listening no I'll rephrase that I'm great at listening and I'm good at talking um I am good at seeing the potential in other people I'm good at encouraging supporting people I'm good at being a mummy um I'm even though well no my kids will agree with that they better agree with that uh now having said that I um I had been chatting to um it was Mary Kough was on my podcast there a few weeks ago and she what she'd been talking about her son and it kind of triggered in my own head going back to how I felt about um James after I had him and didn't have that initial bond and stuff. Um and I had said like if I could be the mummy that I am today If I could go back and be that mummy, then I would do it in a heartbeat. But you have to learn, like you can't get it right. And because of working, you know, the personal development work and mindset and gratitude and all those things that we all are, we know the benefits of those because I work on them now, which I didn't know anything about 20 years ago, you know, I said, I, I would go back, but you, you can't do that. You can just learn from it. So, as I said, I'd like to think I'm a good mummy. I was I was always a good mummy, but there would have been a period that I really questioned my uh, parental ability. What,
0: what makes a good mummy, do you think?
1: Do um, you know what's as simple as, and somebody had said this to me, we can tie ourselves up in knots and be full of stress and you know leading by example and all those kind of things but a child all a child needs to see is your face light up when they walk into a room and when that happens a child when a child knows that they are unconditionally loved I feel that they can you know you can buy them all the toys in the world all the gadgets in the world all of that there, you can live in the biggest house, which I was <laughs> and did have a big house. Um, and you can drive fancy cars and you can go on three holidays a year and you can do all of those things. But if when your child appears and you like dismiss them or you just don't have time for them, or all those all those material things, they don't matter. But when a child fundamentally is said, when they see your face light up, that means back to what I'd said earlier. That they're saying and I suppose for all of us to to feel like that they're like that's yeah okay I can I can achieve whatever I want to achieve I can do whatever I want to do and to believe in your children and to show them that they are capable of whatever path they take and to not and I see it so I'm now going to start to bang the table (laughs) I see it so many times parents living their life through their kids in that things that they didn't achieve that they didn't dreams that they didn't fulfill and they try to steer their child down the path that they didn't take and I personally I think that's so wrong a child has to follow their own path and you're there for them to to pick them up if need be Um, but to not and then that probably goes back to you as a person—that's where you need to then start to look at yourself and look right. Okay, what have I not? Back to the starting again. If you are starting, if you are living your life through your child, then you need to start to look at yourself and think right. Okay, what do I need to do here? My child needs to live their life. So that.
0: <laughs> no, I mean it's, it's so so true, and I'm just I'm struck as well. I mean, you talk about you know what light your face up and the way you described it, the veterinary surgery as well, that actually, you know, people coming in and seeing your, you know, lighting up, you know, their faces, you know, seeing you coming in as well. It's, it's yeah. a bit of a common theme there.
1: Yeah. Well, I have been referred to as little Rev Sunshine peak. Pete. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> that's
0: great. That's, that's a great way to be. I've, I've been known to be yeah. told to say I have, a, have, it, a, it, I have a resting yeah. bitch face, you know, so.
1: Well, my daughter, Emma, she uh, uh, says she could give you a run for your money on that. (laughs) She has; She's perfected the resting bitch face, that is for sure. (laughs) But it's hilarious because you see whenever somebody who has got a resting bitch face and then you happen to look at them and the smile, it is like the whole freaking face just suddenly lights up because they've gone from this. You're like going oh my God, is she going to, is she going to knife me? Is she going to, and then this big smile. And it's like, wow. So. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> Tell me, would you, would you describe yourself as intuitive? You know, you talk about listening and you talk about hearing. I mean, does intuition come into this?
1: I, yes. Um, I, I. I like I think I i know I I know I am intuitive too. I'm very much you seeing like people's energy and things like that there I will feed off it um and people they don't even have to say anything. Do you know the way you can just feel somebody's energy whether it's on or off and you know there's there's some people that I said that you just can't put your finger on it you don't know what it is I say you may never have had a conversation with them but there's just something about their their vibe their energy that you just can't you know you, you do you, you're clued into it and like even back to Emma my daughter she is would be a very intuitive person also like I could even like whenever I go to collect them from their dad's I haven't said anything and she'll just get into the car i haven't even opened my mouth and she'll go right what's wrong and i go no there's there's nothing wrong no i know that there is like even as said before i don't know if it's my resting bitch face that she has seen or or what it is but she's very clued into um people's emotions people's feelings people's what there's something and you know why that i don't know then this probably goes against i'm going to contradict myself here slightly because I am a talker, she wouldn't be much of a talker. And I think because she talks less, she listens more and she can therefore see more of what's going on around. But maybe it's because I have kind of honed in on it more over the years that you are you can pick up on it a lot easier. Um, even though I am a talker, I still feel that I can listen and pick up a vibe or pick up an energy or somebody's mood or somebody's if they're not really feeling what they're saying that they're feeling and vice versa
0: because amazing you know as you say you can be quite perceptive and 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 other people as well and um you know it's how how do you find you know what's what's the easiest way or the best way for you to connect with people then
1: Do you mean like on social media or in general? Like, in
0: general, I suppose. I mean, even through the likes of the, the you know the coaching and that, you know, when you yeah. are trying to understand what they, they mean or they say.
1: I have to say, I even though like you can still do like um Zoom calls and things like together, I personally think um you need to be in the company of somebody to get a proper feel of. I know i was say uh, the last year, you have no choice but to do it by assuming things like that there. But even like say like dating apps, Pete, um, you, you can't get a proper, <laughs> pardon the pun, I was going to say a feel for somebody. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Unless you actually meet face to face and get. So I, while you can do it and say online, I do prefer to meet somebody in, in person.
0: It's funny, isn't it? I don't know why I had this comic sketch sort of drop into my (laughs) mind where you're chatting to somebody in Zoom and then you meet them in person and like your mother, they turn out to be five foot. (laughs) This (laughs) this version of this six foot Goliath coming in and yet this five foot person comes storming through the door.
1: Yeah, you're kind of going, that's not exactly what, yeah, there's something not right here. Yeah, no, I definitely, I think to get a proper, proper feel for somebody's, you know, because online you can say what what you want to say or say what you think the person wants to hear or whatever, but you can't, I don't think when you're sitting across from somebody, I don't think it's as easy to get away with, with things. Because your your energy doesn't lie. you you know it, it speaks even before you've opened your mouth. <laughs> on the
0: on the coaching side, would you use that as you know in your toolkit? Really, is that sort of really sort of hearing and, and seeing the energy they're applying to different things?
1: Yeah, yeah. I um I, I definitely, and yeah. that's probably as well what I've missed in the last year is actually being face to face with people because I do think, um, people, I don't know, do they open up more when they're actually sitting? I don't know. I don't know. I just, I, I miss that. I miss that. I suppose that's a human interaction that we all need is to have that connection with the person in flesh.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it is interesting, you know, that sort of, yeah, that's whilst we have sort of FaceTime, it's it's digital FaceTime, which is very different to, you know, as you say, yeah. the, the actual, the in-person contact, you know, and, and what's there. What are you capable of? Do you know?
1: Um, I'm probably capable of more than I believe or allow myself to be capable of. Um, again, I know as I said at the start, I'm, you know all for encouraging other people but when it comes to myself I don't I don't know (laughs) there's still that I'm a work in progress we're all works in progress works in progress and you know the way they'll say like if you could see yourself through other people's eyes um I will I don't know if it's a combination of um not feeling enough as I was growing up if it's a a combination of that and like the the messages or the statements or the comments that would have been sort of I would have heard throughout my marriage sort of all comes together and has me where I am today that I will, you know, take two steps forward and then I'll pull myself back. Um, I know like I would it's not I don't compare myself to other coaches or mentors or everyone has their own way, unique way of doing things. Um, but I know that I'm capable of helping people improve, feel better about themselves, feel more confident in themselves. I know that I am I be your biggest cheerleader and going, you can absolutely do whatever you put your mind to. Um, I'm still working on believing it in myself, which is the most ironic thing because like there I am you know encouraging other people to believe in themselves but yet there's still a part of me that is reluctant to believe in my own self.
0: <laughs> no listen I, I think I mean one I, I you know I, I applaud you for your honesty you know and I think it's I think it's very common you know and it's mm-hmm. it's like the, what we call it, the cobbler's kids you know it's like people are quite often very good but actually when it comes to themselves or what's going on around them it can be it can be hard to see your own reflection right you know the way we see ourselves and the way we feel can be different yeah Yeah.
1: and you know what i know there's the whole you know fake it till you make it and all and i'm that within reason yes absolutely but also i don't know you have to be honest as well with yourself in that um and i don't know like somebody had said to me last night like while you're coaching or mentoring other people you're growing alongside them so while I am maybe two steps five steps ten steps ahead of them in this particular um journey (laughs) there will be things I'm sure that I will help them with but they'll also help me with so I'm not going to be you know, arrogant and say, oh, I know it all. I'm brilliant at what I do, or on any of that there. I know I'm good at what I do. I know I can improve on what I'm doing. Um and that's what I'm, you know, every day what I work towards is improving in myself. As I said, every day you're learning, every day you're growing. Um but knowing that I can help a person where I am today. And then in six months time, a year's time I can help people you know, progress further as I progress further.
0: Well, where, where do you see yourself over the next five years? Do you do you plan out? Do you, are you forward thinking that way?
1: Um, I would have been very much, you know, planning ahead. Um, but then I think that changed whenever I took sick because it all happened so, so quickly. It was like I was fine. I was dead on. I had taken a sore throat. One weekend, and then it was on the Sunday, and that wee bit in the middle of between your tonsils, it had turned black. And I really probably should have went and had it looked at, but you know the way you're just too busy. And I could be grand, don't worry about it. Um, and then on the Friday, I took a pain, a severe pain in my tummy, um, and was taken into the local hospital. And that's, I stayed in high dependency for a week and uh, had surgery because I said that my body was going to toxic shock. But at that moment, I just, I had no control over anything. And I remember whenever I came out of surgery and I was back up on the ward and the nurse was doing, working away, I don't know what she was doing, but I was saying to her nurse, nurse, because it was Friday, I had put the uniforms in the washing machine before this all had kicked off. And I said to her nurse, my uniforms are in the washing machine. And she's going, Amanda, you don't need to worry about the uniform. I said, no, you don't understand because they'll put them in the tumble dryer. And then so I was still thinking about uniforms while I was lying up in high dependency, but my life, I had handed my control over to, to these to doctors and nurses and I realized Over a period of time, I was going. You really have no idea. You can plan ahead and plan ahead and plan ahead, and just like that, your life can just can turn on its head. So I would feel now if I think too far ahead, I can actually start to feel myself getting anxious because I'm going. No, I have to just. I'm living in here now. Yes, I'll maybe think about. Okay, I would like whether it's my podcast, I would like that to be successful or. The coaching, um, yes, I I would like that to be to help as many people as I can possibly help. But if I plan, as I said, too far ahead, I start to get slightly anxious. I don't know if it's a trigger because I'm thinking, oh no, but you can't, you can't, because life. Nobody knows what's going to happen because of what happened and because it happened so quickly. Like I said, there was no build up to it. It was just like that. There, from being fine to being very much not fine (laughs) so I'd say I don't like even holidays or things like that I don't it's like okay no I'm more of a spontaneous kind of person and I think that kind of came more so from after that had happened I
0: mean overall that sort of losing of control and things like that I mean how, how did that sit with you uh it
1: wasn't it wasn't easy because I liked to be in control. Um I I would have been um like I I, I remember I would have always been so full of freaking stress the stress was the main cause for what had happened. Um and I would have always been very stressed about things and would have got very irritated very easily. So that was uh it it was like I was just out of the rat, out of yeah. yeah out of the rat race and I had to just say hand over control and there was absolutely nothing I could do about it and that was a very steep learning curve. Now it wasn't a case of you know the way like when people have had near death experiences and they're like going oh I just had this epiphany and you know I my life changed overnight. It wasn't like, for me. It wasn't anything I got there. It was over time that. I, it was one of those Amanda right, and even I went to a, a faith mm. healer a, a few months or whatever after it and I remember saying to him I said like, you know what you do? you go why well, why did that happen and he said like whether you're into faith healer or not whichever he says you needed something to stop you and I says, but sure, Jesus, a broken leg or a broken arm would have stopped me. And he says, no, no, you needed something that was just going to actually, really stop you, so that you would reassess and, you know, start again. So it was a case of constantly just reminding, like, Amanda, you don't have to control everything. Things happen. You can tie yourself up in knots about the what ifs, but uh, but what if? 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 You cannot control what is going to happen in a half an hour's time. You can't control what's going to happen tomorrow, next week. So just take your foot off the pedal and just, you know, again, cliche, live in the moment and stop worrying about the, but what if this goes wrong? What if that goes wrong? What if, if it's going to go wrong, it's going to go wrong, whether you worry about it or whether you don't worry about it. So that was one of the huge wake up calls that I had from that, That you can control, there's nothing you can control. You th- you might think you're controlling it, but realistically, yeah, you can't, <laughs> you can control your mind. Like, but, um, apart from what happens outside, it's, uh, yeah.
0: Where, I mean, you mentioned faith. there. I mean, where do you sit on the, you know, the spirituality religious, you know, where, where do you sit in that realm?
1: I am, um, I would consider myself more a spiritual person than a religious person. I know that there's something, I do believe there is something. It's, uh, I remember, you know, back to my dad, um, I would have been very, I'm a very curious person. I'm always, but, but what if, now, but how did that, and why is that, and, and he would have always said to me, Amanda, you just have to have faith. You don't ask any questions, and that used to drive me insane. Because I was going, but, but you have to ask questions. Like this doesn't, that doesn't make sense, and that doesn't make sense. And he says, but it doesn't have to make sense. But it, in my head, it needed to make sense. um But I said, whether it's God, whoever, whatever, there's, there's. I do believe there's something. I do believe I've been here before. I do believe that. Um, I'll be here again, and probably it's hilarious. The the wee imaginary friend Jacqueline Bins, um, my birthday's on the fifteenth of April, and I have this real fear of water. So I have convinced myself now. There's no, there's no evidence of this. I have convinced myself that I was on the Titanic, and Jacqueline was also on the Titanic, and that's where I met her. Because I do if I you see if I even go into like I don't go into swimming pools, but if I did way back, whenever the water would get so far up, I could feel myself just get really panicked. So I'm convinced I was I drowned in the Titanic. So
0: <laughs> Awesome. Have you ever done any past life regression or any any work?
1: No, but I would love to. I would I would. Really, really love to. And I do like I would have always got, and I think most people do get deja vu and all that kind of stuff, but I definitely there's something I yeah. I'm gonna do it.
0: So you're saying you have been here before?
1: I think so. And I remember as well this I guess years ago, this girl who she was big into like I'm into me angels that talk to me angels and all that kind of stuff. Um and she would be um one of those angel kind of people and she told me she said um that I had a real old soul and I said oh okay and she said, yeah it's just you have been around quite a lot and I was going, I'm not sure if I like the sound of that but <laughs> she said no you have you've had quite a few past lives so I, it is something I would love to to look into a wee bit more just to see who I was or where I was or, you know, I find that fascinating.
0: Talk to me about angels.
1: Oh, I love my angels. And I would write, well, my mom, mom I, she would write to them, but God love her, our spelling wouldn't be great. So she says, dear, angels, but I suppose, you know, the, the two, they still get it. Um, but I would, I would write we letters to them and i don't know i swear to god Pete, I, I think sometimes they may be going to hiding because it's like okay she's here she is again but i would write like even a daddy's memory card i would have wee letters with to me angels now he's added into it so it's dear angels and daddy um and then whatever if i'm feeling whatever i may be feeling and if i see Ian, our wee feathers or things like that there, I find them, and even, I, I don't have, I always wanted that tattoo, um, but I never had, I wanted it to mean something, but you, I don't think you'll maybe not see that, but it is, it's a feather, and we, for my dad, and three wee hearts for my three kids, and the infinity sign, because I wanted something that had meaning behind it. Um, And even after he had passed away, Whenever I came home and I was going back out again to go down to to mum's, there was about five or six butterflies just came flying towards me. Um. So I just I don't know. Um. You know. You of course you'll have other people going. That's a load of whatever. But if it gives you some sense of comfort or it makes you feel, we all have different things that we believe in, or we, you know, that makes sense to us and. Angels make sense to me.
0: <laughs> no, I mean, listen, it's whatever. I mean, we all have different journeys. So yeah. talk to me about the sort of the, I mean, the change that happened there two and a half years ago. I mean, that was significant, right?
1: Huge. It, yeah, it was. Um, I said, well, daddy, first of all, he passed away seven weeks after five weeks, seven weeks after he was diagnosed. So that was like uh, such a shock to the system um and he I was a real daddy's girl he <laughs> he was a special man um, and yeah he um and he, knew he was very much loved and respected, and all of those kind of things and then at the wake, and I knew he was um very well known but then at his wake like I know everyone like the wakes are always busy but I swear to god it just felt as if the amount of people that were it was like oh my god Jesus is this never ending and every person had the same thing to say about him that he was a gentleman and he sorry (laughs) um he was just a one in a million. But, and I was very proud that he was my dad. Um, and he was just like one of those people that had like a magnetic personality. You were drawn to him and his eyes, he had the most amazing eyes. And there was real twinkle in his eyes. And, but he was funny and kind and smart and wise and, and like this is not you know the way sometimes you can look at people who have passed on and you look at them with rose tinted glasses and you kind of just remember they the good things but these were all things that you would have said to him even when he was here like this was he was just and um, he was a, a tailor and a bricklayer by trade but he was so particular he was called Peter Perfect because everything had to be done like if his motto was if you're going to do something you do it right or you don't bother and like even if he did a job at somebody's house um the the message that always would have came through on repeat was you would you wouldn't even have known when he was there it was like we left in the morning and we came back and the kitchen was tiled or the bathroom was tiled and he had cleaned up after he had done it and he had left it was like Jesus, like what the frick, how did this happen? But he was so particular. And he he was just as say one in a million. And then that was the probably the kick that I needed, that life was too short, and I could continue living in a marriage that I was unhappy with. Um and or I could that was it, call it a day. And as I said, we were married 19 years. And um, you could just, I don't know, you go through the motions sometimes, and the usual line I'll stay together for the sake of the kids, for the sake of the kids, for the sake of the kids. For me personally, and again, it comes down to what works for you and what doesn't. I felt to have kids growing up in an environment that isn't the healthiest, that's of no benefit to your kids. You're going to, I feel long term do more harm than good. Is it not better to have parents living separately and happy than together and making each other miserable? Um, okay, my ex-husband he just felt that this came from left field. He hadn't, he didn't know what I was talking about or whatever. But that's neither here nor there. Um, it was the October, and I said, and I've I've talked about this just on my, my Instagram stories that. When it comes to ending the marriage, you don't do it on a whim. Um, You don't. Okay, some people will. But you will do whatever you can to make it work, especially when there are kids involved. Um, And if you feel that your marriage is coming near the end or you are unhappy, but you still want to make it work, then don't leave any stone unturned. But if you know in your heart of hearts, right, I'm this, I'm, I'm miserable. I'm, you know, I'm, this is not, this is making, this is causing me more anxiety than anything else. Then do yourself a favor and look at the other alternative. It's not easy. Um, as I said, that was, daddy had passed away in September and it was in October that I had said that I was, I was done. Um, of course, my ex-husband, he thought I was just grief that I was going through. But I knew <laughs> when you know, you know, um, and I stayed for another to the end of January, I think it was. And at that, I spent most of that time in my youngest daughter's bedroom and my anxiety was going through the roof. I was hardly eaten. I think I cried more than I had ever cried in my entire life. Um, obviously, there was an element of grief because with dad passing away, um, yeah. And then I finally left in the January, at the end of January, end of January. And I have never once questioned it, two and a half, no, not well, just Mm. near enough, two and a half years later, I have never once thought, shit, what have I done? So I suppose that kind of (laughs) shows that it was the right decision. Of course, when I look at my kids, there are times you think, okay, how has this impacted on them? Then I see that they're still doing well, and they're still laughing, and they're still happy, and they're seem well rounded kids. And you know, that's all I can I can hope for. You know, who knows what the future holds? Whether it will have impacted in some way, but I think that the decision I made will benefit them more than if I had a state because they were watching their mum disappear. I was literally disappearing. I was as I said I was becoming not eaten um, full of stress again all that kind of stuff so when they look at their mum now who's happy that's well that's all they want um if there is their daddy happy I don't really know <laughs> uh, but you know probably he was playing catch-up um I knew in my head I had I thought about it and thought about it but the actual moment where I just went, no, that's it, I'm done. And I, do you know what, Pete? It wouldn't have mattered if 20 people had a sat in front of me going, oh, but Amanda, no, Amanda, what about this? What about this? What about this? What about this? Try this, try this. I was, I was done. And I don't know, I maybe started to become really hard because I know that's what he had said to me, like, you're so hard. You've got, and, but that was my coping mechanism because I knew right okay but I have to be because if I if I don't and gives you some kind of sense of hope that something will be resolved when it's not going to be resolved that's being more cruel to you than me being cold or hard but as I said the fact that I've never questioned it um speaks volumes I guess and yeah so that was the start of reinvention number (laughs) 300 and whatever but like i said it's it's you know it's not it's 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 not easy there's days that you're going oh jesus but i never ever thought of like let's rekindle this relationship no
0: does control come into it
1: on my part or (laughs) there would have been um yeah there would control would have would have played a, a huge part
0: I no, was just curious because I mean you mentioned control earlier and it's it's kind of one of those things and especially when something traumatic happens in your life and you know obviously with your father passing in such short notice as well you know it's mm. it, it it's a resets all your definitions really doesn't it? It's
1: Oh absolutely and it is as I said it's that you know the, the aha moment where you're going Right, hold on a wee second, Jesus! Like you know, as I said, in the space of seven weeks, like my dad went from okay, he he was having a few issues with uh, like a, a ulcer kind of thing on his leg, which then turned out that that was cancerous as well, and then that was the ball rolling. Um, but going from from that to right, okay, he has cancer in all the places that he had it. it was like what, what, what? so it it definitely and you know what i think you know the way i was saying about after i was sick that it wasn't a case of um you know i had an, an epiphany but i think after daddy that was more of a right jesus no life's too short even though i had went through what i had went through i think what ha with what happened dad had more of an impact on grabbing life by the whatever and you know, just living life on your terms and doing what makes you happy. And I know that might sound self-absorbed and slightly selfish, but you have to. I'm not saying that I'm very much, that I always put myself first or anything out there, but I definitely do things that make me feel happy now, which I probably wouldn't have done as much because it's all about me (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> well I mean to go back to really I suppose the, the the title of your podcast you know what getting into your your 40 somethings I mean what has that taught you or what what's really sort of changed for you?
1: Uh, it is very much that we spend so much of our life worrying about what other people think worrying about like the, the list of what ifs what ifs what ifs what ifs And there comes that time that you have to start to live life on your terms and do the things that you enjoy and that you want. And when you realise that people are always going to have opinions, people are always going to have something to say, but don't allow that to control what decisions you make in your own life. If you are, you know, like, as they say, like. For example when it comes to fashion women over 30 or over 40 shouldn't be wearing like dresses above the knee or women over 40 should have her a certain length or women over 40 shouldn't they shouldn't dress a certain way they shouldn't act a certain way they shouldn't do any of that to I what I said in those things are like that if you want to have long have long hair have it if you want to you should dress in whatever way you want to dress that makes you feel good about yourself you do the things that make you feel good oh you feel are you still there <laughs> that was my battery. um that you feel good um and what we do we put so much emphasis on other people and we should just you know take the take that emphasis off other people and put it on to what you actually want so whenever I say when you get to your 40s it is that case of that you're going here hold on a second stop sweating the small stuff you can't control everything that you think you can control you tie yourself up in a ball of stress you waste time worrying about stupid stupid stuff that might never happen chances are it won't ever happen. So do you know what I mean? Like, like life is for living, and I know it's not always easy, and I know, as I said, there will be curveballs, will take you, and pull the rug from under you, You can more times than you care to want happen. But on the whole, life's good, and I said when you start to do things that, back to the title of yours, put the fire in your belly, then it just makes the the ride that a little bit more enjoyable.
0: It is, isn't it? I mean, it's, I'm just curious, you know, you, you talked about there, I suppose, no one that's doing something for you as opposed to doing something for somebody else. And, you know, how do you know that something mm-hmm. is for you that it's not, you're not trying to sort of please other people or vicariously seek their praise. I mean, how do you know it's for you?
1: I think that's where you've got consented. Um, like you know, whenever somebody's asked you to do something, and your instant reaction is, uh, "No, I don't really want to do that," but your head's going, "Yeah, yeah." I don't think people trust their gut enough, and they don't realise like their gut is screaming out, going, "But you." I think you instinctly know if something, if you like, you know when you get enjoyment out of something, if it's making you you know that feeling you get when something is good that you're just going yeah yeah oh I love this whereas if you whether it's a night out whether it is maybe going to talk somewhere whatever it may be if you feel that you're just dragging yourself along to it and you're just going through the motions for the sake of going through the motions and you're having that internal dialogue going oh Jesus this is nearly over Oh Frank, I don't want to be here then you know that's kind of the red flags going right okay this is not something that you want to really be doing in your life now don't get me wrong Pete I'm not saying that you have to freaking say no to everything but just know that it is okay to say a no again that's another thing I think so many people constantly say yes for the sake of saying yes not because they want to do the thing but because it's for somebody else and yes you can obviously help people when you can but don't do it to the detriment of your own for insanity either
0: no well, i guess i mean that's it's so important that really is to do things on your terms and do it at a choice too. it's not you know for once you once you bypass that and really you know knowing what's what's there what what's a really proud moment for you
1: uh, a proud moment, obviously, my babies. Um, also, I, um, Nuri Inspire Awards was a wee awards that I organised with a friend of mine a year, two years ago. And it was basically um, awards to recognise people who have made a difference in some way, shape, or form. So, never organised anything like that in my life. And I did, I was the compere with. James McGrath. I don't know if you know James McGrath. Um, and it was in the Canal Court two years ago, and it was on the date, the same date I took sick on the 8th of November, and it was on the 8th of November, and that was why I wanted to do it on that date because obviously the 8th of November when I took sick was a negative sort of thing, but this was a very positive thing. So standing up and comparing and seeing it all come together, that was a a, a pride moment to have to say.
0: So isn't it funny just you know putting yourself out of your comfort zone? You know, that sort of
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, big time. Who's hmm, hmm. been a really big inspiration in your life?
1: Uh, I suppose and oh, it's probably the usual answer. Um, but probably my mum and dad, yeah. And My mum is, uh, she's a wee, I know I keep saying she's only five foot, but uh, her strength of character and her resilience and her attitude, like she is, she is one of those people who doesn't care. And I don't mean it's in a, like a flippant way, but she doesn't care what other people think. She has always been, you know, look at me. I'm amazing. I'm this, I'm that, um, And she she's never lost that and um, just had her moments, obviously, like most of us. But even after Daddy had passed away, like they'd been together from when they were 16. So, you know, and Daddy passed away when he was 72. That's a long time to be with somebody. So he was like a constant in her life for all those years. And her strength of character from that and how she just kept going and she continues to keep going so i guess that's probably where i have got my resilience and it's funny how i see that resilience in my kids as well because that time that my dad passed away their granny had passed away from cancer five weeks before so they'd lost a granny then five weeks later they lost their my dad and then their parents marriage fell apart a few months after that so that was three major things for three young kids to go through so to see their resilience and how they have come through that you know and that inspires me also I suppose and would would be proud another pride moment like looking at my kids how they have dealt with all those things in such a as a young age for the three of them
0: yeah no it's 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 a lot isn't it I mean there's a lot
1: mm.
0: of harsh lessons with life you know and a lot of you know going through but
1: Tell me what what would your core values be? Uh, respect, honesty, kindness. Um yeah, respect, honesty and kindness.
0: Very very personal values. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah, no I I am
1: um, it's like kindness is one of the easiest things in the world for people to be but so many people seem to struggle with it and you know it's funny um you'll see obviously you know different people talking on Instagram and all that there and people who maybe have hugely successful businesses and all that kind of stuff and I don't know They have this mentality that just because they have lots of money that that makes them these amazing people but yet they maybe wouldn't have the respect or the kindness um i my mentality is i don't care if you have a fiver in the bank or you have five million in the bank if you your character doesn't have the respect for other people or whether it's somebody who's, again, homeless or whatever, or somebody who is serving in a shop or somebody who is hugely successful. Um, it doesn't matter. We're all, again, people, we're all made from the same cloth, so to speak. So, um, yeah, respect people, be kind to people, and always remain humble as well. Yeah, it
0: makes sense. It does make sense. Tell me, what's a a guilty pleasure then for Amanda?
1: Do I have to be really honest? (laughs) I'll maybe tell you that offer. (laughs) Uh, Well, I do love my wine, I have to say, and I do love my crisps, and I do love my coffee, and I do love my rom-coms on Netflix, and I pretend that I'm the main character in the hope that someday... My knight in shining armor will arrive.
0: <laughs> Red or white wine? What's your go-to?
1: White Sauvignon Blanc.
0: Okay, crisps.
1: Any type. I'll um, I'm not very good at sharing my crisps, I have to say. Um, I know I'm I'm so bad. I know I yeah. Crisps. Um, like- as long as there's crisps to go with the wine, I'm happy. What's your flavor? <laughs> um I do like Monster Munch, and I do like Doritos, and I do like, um. I, no, honestly, Pete, I swear, I'm like, yeah, um, as long as they're crisps.
0: They're dirty crisps. They're no proper crisps. They're like full-on dirty crisps.
1: What's proper crisps?
0: Well, one that looks like a potato, but a Monster Munch doesn't look anything like a potato.
1: It doesn't, but you know what? In my head, I'm thinking, okay, these are just a, a snack, a corn snack, so it's not, you don't feel as guilty then when you're devouring them, but there was, I can't, I'm oh, not here, I've eaten them, obviously. <laughs> I was good. <laughs> uh, oh, I can't think of the ones now that, um, oh, they're gone, the name's gone, but no, I i really, the crisps, I'm so bad, I, I really am, I, I know, I just, and even if the kids go to take some of them, I'll break the wrist. <laughs>
0: It's like when it comes to sharing things like that, foods, yeah. If you if you want some, get your own, basically.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah
0: I, I get that. I get that. And tell me what, what does leisure and pleasure look like for you?
1: Um, um well, I suppose like most I like to socialize. Well, not that we've been doing much socializing, but whenever you do, you like I do like little spa days and I do like uh, wherever there's people because I just love people I thrive being around people hearing people's stories all that kind of stuff so wherever there's people young handsome men I'm happy
0: <laughs> don't ask for much do you really you know
1: no no I'm a I'm simple a simple creature yeah <laughs>
0: hmm. so tell me I mean if you, if you were to describe your fire in the belly in one or two words what would they be
1: Uh, what you mean what gives me fire in the belly yeah uh i suppose yeah hearing other people's stories gets me just that motivates me
0: love it love it Mm -hmm.
1: do you like yourself do you love yourself yes
0: that's good very definitely yes
1: Yeah. yeah i do and probably more so now than I ever have. I'm happier with who I am, how I look, what I represent, what I stand for. More probably now than I ever have.
0: Mm. Well, that's go powerful.
1: And it's sure. hilarious because I leave it. <laughs> I go, I'll be looking in the mirror, and if the kids are around, I'd be going like, "Seriously, like, do you know what I mean? Like, look, look at me. Don't I look freaking amazing?" For and they're like, "No, oh, okay, Mum."
0: <laughs> well, you have gotta fill your own cup too. Like, why not?
1: Absolutely.
0: Oh, I love it. Listen, tell me, where can people follow you, reach out, stalk you, hunt you down, get in touch with uh,
1: you? Tinder, Bumble.
0: <laughs> Any of you and uh,
1: in, in Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, all inspired by Amanda Orr. Hmm. And the love. podcast, The Trials and Tribulations of a 40-something.
0: <laughs> love it. Love it. There's loads going on. Tell me, is there a final message you'd like to leave with the listeners today?
1: Um, Just to take back control of your own life and to start living life on your terms, what makes you happy and yeah, what gets the fire in your belly.
0: Amanda, thank you for sharing. Thank you for your time and uh, look forward to hearing more about your journey. So thank you.
1: My absolute pleasure, Peter. Thank you so much for asking
0: me on. It's been a joy. Well, that was another great episode of Fire in the Belly. You know, this really wouldn't be possible without a great guest taking the time to share their personal journeys. And by the way, sometimes it is personal. It's an absolute pleasure to have that and then to hear the journeys that people have been on. We've loads more episodes coming up soon and it's always a pleasure to have guests on. If you do happen to know anyone with true fire in their belly, please reach out to us so we can share their journey, lessons and successes. So all that's left to say is have a great day, live with fire in your belly and be the mightiest version of you.